Welcome back. I am Philip. And I'm Ben. And this is Real Journeys. Ben, we're a month in. Um, we've now streamed in over 100 countries. Awesome. Pretty impressive. Yeah, totally. Um, thanks to our listeners. like to plug our website real quick, realjourneyspodcast.com. For those of you enjoying the podcast, please go to our site to find us on any of your major podcast providers. And we also have a list of our upcoming episodes on the website. So it's kind of nice for you to be able to plan out what movies you're going to watch next. Yep. And of course, we want to hear from you. So on the contact page, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email us directly or you can even leave a voicemail message. So find that again at realjourneyspodcast.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and leave us some reviews on Apple's podcasts. So Ben, we're, we may sound a little different because we are recording separately. We are social distancing. Yeah. I think we should, for those listening to this episode <laughs> years from now, we should probably mention that this is early April in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's why we're doing a special episode, yep. um, the COVID-19 special Contagion, where we will cover topics, feeling fear in a pandemic, seeing evil in a pandemic, and finding hope in a pandemic. From the City of Angels, this is Real Journeys. What do we got? A young woman in Minnesota recently traveled to China. Son also died. As of this morning, 87 cases, 15 deaths. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I worked. Today's film, the 2011 thriller Contagion, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Just a quick recap of the story. Beth Emhoff, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, returns from a business trip to China not feeling well. Within two days, she has passed away from a very strange sickness that her son also passes away from two days later, leaving her immune to the virus husband, Mitch, played by Matt Damon, to help scientists unravel a deadly virus that is highly contagious. Soon, the United States and countries all over the world are battling this pandemic that is spreading. Doctors are trying to help the sick, scientists trying to find a cure, and journalists are spreading stories about the effects of the viruses, as well as their opinions. As the world grapples with this virus, Dr. Ali Hextel, played by Jennifer L.A., finds the vaccine which will ease the world of this lethal virus. So usually we discuss why we chose the film, but the film almost chose itself in this situation. Yeah. We're filming this during the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020, and we are recording at a distance here, looking at each yep. other over the internet. I'd say I wanted to hit this movie because it was hitting the news and it was rising in streaming popularity given the current world situation. I had seen it once before um, and really liked it. So we uh given you guys a special, I guess. Yeah, we didn't watch this one together either. We were both at our own homes texting each other during the film while we were taking notes and then had a conversation afterwards. I had not seen the movie, so this was my first viewing of it. I had no idea walking into it. Uh, I knew what it was about, but I didn't know how chillingly close to home this was really going to hit. It felt strangely accurate to what's happening in this time, uh, especially the virus coming out of China. The one guy even ran through a live animal market, just like where they yeah, think it freaky. came from. So that was crazily accurate there. 
And one of my favorite things reading on IMDb, somebody had made the comment, we're all in the 2020 sequel of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which definitely feels true. (laughs) Yeah. And then they also mention social distancing in the movie, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a new term for most of us. Although I had read recently also that it's nothing new, like social distancing was even used back in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Like um, they use that term? Um, At least they used the tactic. And as a side note, I really hate that term because it's encouraging social distancing. And what we're really supposed to be encouraging is physical distancing. And um, yeah, immediate reactions after viewing for me was uh, similar to yours. It's pretty close to home. Obviously, there have been a lot of scientists that have predicted something like this for some time. And it's nothing new for the world. We've seen it many times. Uh, And then just from a film perspective, I thought this movie was cast incredibly. I loved each actor. Like They really seemed to fit the role really well. Very good casting, Tom. Yeah. Should we dive into our first theme? Yeah. What's that, fomites? Uh, It refers to transmission from surfaces. The average person touches their face two or three thousand times a day. Two or three thousand times a day? Three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, elevator buttons, and each other. Those things become fomites. Feeling fear in a pandemic. I wanted to try and start off a tiny bit light because I know this is going to get heavy very quickly (laughs) if this is even light. The the movie almost tries to make you afraid or scared of like touching things. It does a very good job of showing close-up shots of objects and getting in your head of kind of imagining this virus moving from one place to the other. I wonder if this time is encouraging people to live their day-to-day life more in fear. And how that compared, like some people live their lives that way anyway. So, yeah. Um, but I don't know um, what we could do as uh, individuals or society to alleviate fear in our lives in general. Well, it's interesting. So, Philip and I are in California, which was very aggressive uh, in mid March 2020 of instituting a safer at home policy where we were asked by our governor to already start social distancing, quarantining, whatever you want to call it, a lot earlier than a lot of the US did. And I remember the day or two before that happened, I remember being at work and coming out of the bathroom and opening the door to go back towards my office and thinking like, what if somebody touched this doorknob that just came back from China or whatever, like, and it hadn't even spread much in the US. And I already was starting to feel a little bit weird about it and was mm-hmm. thinking that I should probably like whatever paper towel I had in the bathroom, I should probably just take with me and open doors with it and such. And I remember thinking about that already then. And it kind of came as a relief when the governor made that announcement. And the company we work for had also asked us already that same day to work from home on a go forward basis. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. It felt comforting. And now being several weeks into this, and we at the time of this recording, we don't know how this is all going to play out yet. It's early April. And we don't know if this is about to get worse, or if we're going to start to see the curve flatten. But now it's getting to a point where my wife and I are talking about like, how much do we really need to go to the grocery store? Like, can we try to go three weeks or so? We do have enough food stocked up that we could definitely get through two weeks. And we're pretty much considering doing that. And so it's true. It does give you a lot of fear. But I think 
they want to instill fear in us to make us stay home so we do stop spreading this. And I don't know if we should try to alleviate it at this point or if we should just do our part to stay home and wait until we hear from the authorities. Yeah, this is starting to turn around. Within a week or two, we're going to start easing up the at-home restrictions or whatever the case will be whenever they give us the green light to start returning back to normal life. I don't know. but Are these choices you're making born out of fear or born out of responsible... Trying to plan ahead sounds more responsible, but is is it on or is there underlying fear there? Because I think maybe you don't have it, but we're definitely seeing within our communities other people have it. I think I think part of it is fear. Like I I am the designated person from my family that goes to the grocery store. We don't like nobody else does, and we definitely would not take the kids to the grocery store right now. Mm -hmm. And so of course there's responsibility in that, but I'm a little uneasy walking around the grocery store and getting closer to other people, and so are they. Like we're trying our best to keep distance. But when you turn a corner in an aisle, you don't know who's there. Mm. And then it's like, how do you walk past? And so I like I hold my breath and walk by them. Is that fear? Or is it paranoia? That I and the disease? Is, uh, or and is there really a difference? Because I, I think know. paranoia might just be a, a subset of fear, but I wanted to another take. Hmm. Maybe I don't know if it's paranoia. I think it's just more I don't want to get this. So I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. Okay, then is that fear or is that desire? Hmm. And when do we cross that line? Because yeah, like, when do we label it fear? Because we got a bunch of people that desire not to get sick. Yeah, we definitely experience it as uh, fear, I think. Like when I see my community going out and buying all the groceries and everything, I think that they're acting on fear. Um, maybe they're not afraid, though. Maybe they're acting on responsible, uh, you know, mindset and the desire to not get sick. Yeah. So you guys are ordering food, right? Like you're not going to yeah. the grocery store. Correct. But that's a responsible thing, not a fear-based decision, right? Or are you afraid if you um, were to go to the store, you would get sick? Like you're making room for other people to go I'm, rather than going yourselves. I'm a hypochondriac, so I would be afraid to walk around... I wouldn't call it fear, though. I would call it paranoia. But again, paranoia is probably just a different subset or type of fear. Um, like, I'm not definitely afraid or crippled, but I would definitely be paranoid the whole time. And maybe that's how I define these things in my head. Like, fear is almost a crippling thing where you're you're either not acting appropriately or you're not acting at all or you're making the wrong decisions. And I don't think I've hit that okay. point. But I think some people have. <laughs> okay, well, what I would say maybe where I have fear is my wife getting this because she, before this started, we're, we're not sure what she has, but she has some sort of an allergy to something. We think it might be one of the plants in our house, mm -hmm. but she's been having respiratory problems because of this where like she has a plugged nose or she is congested, whatever it may be, or she has a hard time breathing. Yeah, you've, you've just made me afraid. Like not, <laughs> not, no, no joke. Like you, you just pushed me from like the paranoia side to the fear side. Like if I were her or if I were in your household, that would be enough to, to twist me over to be, to the afraid side. And I would be, yeah, like ultra yeah. paranoid that, that she would get sick. And I, I, didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm guessing because even if she doesn't get COVID-19, you don't want to have to go to the hospital right now. Yeah, exactly. So we don't and we don't think anybody's going to see her 
to find out what she does have right now because everybody's overwhelmed with with other problems. And so my goal is to keep her here, to keep her away from going out anywhere, and then also limiting how much exposure I have going out places. So it's been a fine balance. And like I said, for the next two weeks, we've already decided we've got enough in store that we don't have to go anywhere. So that we don't risk that. Aside from our family walk that we take in the morning, and we're blessed to live in an area that's pretty quiet and pretty much on the outskirts of Los Angeles. So us walking around, it's rare that we even come into contact with other people while we're on that walk, except if they're like walking out of their house to do something. So we're definitely far enough away. But even then, my wife doesn't want my kids to like touch plants or the somebody's retaining wall or something like she'll make comments about that. And I don't know, maybe that to me is a little bit I wouldn't necessarily feel that of that type of fear that yeah. we're going to get sick because we walked by a branch of a tree that maybe somebody with COVID-19 also touched and now we have it. Like, I don't know if that's even possible, but I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. Well, to what extent? So that's about as light and cheery as I can think to start um, <laughs> <laughs> because ultimately it's only a couple minutes, seems like only a couple minutes into the movie, Matt Damon's wife dies quite suddenly. Yeah. I feel that losing someone suddenly is almost like a whole different experience than losing someone over time. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, this movie was not about the effects of the characters dying, like people no, processing that. Not and at all. So it's a little bit hard in that way with this film to that was probably honestly the hardest thing for me in this film was how impersonal all the deaths felt. Right. It is interesting that when the doctors are telling him, they start out right with that he doesn't understand what he's hearing, like he doesn't get that his wife has just passed away. And then when it does sink in, he becomes angry and asks like what she died from. But you don't really ever see him mourning her loss until towards the very end when he finds the camera and he's looking through the pictures and he sees the pictures that she took in Hong Kong. And then he and has like that moment. I and I kind of related to that a little bit. Like I actually really liked his acting in the emergency room. And I felt like you were seeing him in shock. Now, some of the additional lines toward the end of that were for the movie. I, I, I get that. Yeah. And I think you were a little critical of that. But I think that's normal to sort of enter this stage of shock. And maybe it could be hours, days or weeks where it really does hit you, you know, when you find that camera in the, the closet, and then all of a sudden, it like opens this gate of feelings that you didn't, you weren't allowing yourself to have before. Yeah. And part of that part of that is probably especially with the death of a spouse is you go into protective mode, right? I mean, your first priority then is immediately to, to protect the children and cover them both not just physically, but emotionally, try and protect them to some extent. I'm wondering if in a situation like that pandemic, where it's 100% death rate and everybody dies from it, that it sort of would people have less time to mourn because now going back to fear, now they're afraid they're going to get it or something's going to happen to them in some way, shape or form or other people that they know. And maybe that gets pushed aside until it looks like there's a chance to recover and everybody can start coming back together again. I don't know. How many people are gonna die? Well, in 1918, 1% 1 of the population died from Spanish flu. It was 
novel like this, no one had ever seen it before. One percent of America? One percent of the world. As many as 70 million people could die, baby, maybe more. Part of the difficulty in dealing with something like this is the, 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 the sheer magnitude of the numbers. They're very hard to like process, I think, when we're told it's early days now, but we're told that in America, you know, a quarter of a million people may end up dying from this. Yeah. Um, th that number almost doesn't mean anything because it's so big. It's very hard to like digest it. Uh, yeah, maybe because we don't normally see a quarter of a million things. You know, we're in a house yeah. with a couple p other people. We've got a neighborhood, a couple dozen people. How big is, you know, 100,000? How big is 200,000? Yeah. Um, how do you wrap your head around that? And I don't know if we can learn anything from this movie or what we're going through in terms of the numbers, because those numbers and what's reported really takes everything that's personal about it out of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a PowerPoint now with slides and graphs and it's not a human it's not human bodies yeah and i think that in a way also we don't understand the number but i still think people are afraid of it especially when you look at the elderly and i know that i was in a state of fear for a little while because i thought my dad had this he was very sick and he got tested and we all thought he had it he came back from asia during this time and we all thought that he had it and he didn't it must have just been some other flu that he had and it was such a sigh of relief and um, that he didn't have it. But there were several days where it's like, oh, man, he's approaching 70 and he's in that high risk range. He's not doing well. He's got fevers and chills and all the symptoms were lining up with what it was. And it was it was a it was a scary time for us and our family. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is is a very personal individual yeah. like connection to one person. And then but I feel like. You know what I think it is? It's like are almost a flaw in us as humans to be able, and this goes back to the neighbor neighbors thing. There's only so many people we can care about that intimately. Yeah, I think. So I think what is the answer to that? Maybe the answer to that is to realize that we're all that way. Give people the grace to have the fear that you maybe feel yourself, but also at the same time. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean is when we see this number like 100,000, well, that's 100,000 people that have died. But let's re let's remember that every person has about 50 at most people in their like social circle and family circle. So there's 50 other people that are intimately familiar with just one of those 100,000. Actually, I don't think this is going to help because the numbers are still so big. <laughs> yeah, because then that's... <laughs> You're talking about like over 500 million people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't. I'm trying to come up. I'm trying to put lipstick on a pig, I guess. But we, sh I guess, we should all, like you said, lend our, lend each other the grace to understand that that we're all dealing with it in different ways. And by the end of this, everyone will probably know somebody that knew somebody that died from this. Yeah, agree. My wife makes me take off my clothes in the garage, and she leaves out a bucket of warm water and some soap. And then she douses everything in hand sanitizer after I leave. I mean, she's overreacting, right? Not really. And stop touching your face, Dave. So you're seeing a lot of people overreact. You're seeing a lot of people underreact. I'm sure there's plenty of people in the middle of that, but that's not what gets the news and it's not what we talk about, right? What fascinates me, though, is that each side of that is looking and pointing fingers at the other side. Yeah. And I, I don't understand why we're so obsessed 
with labeling someone else as an underreactor or someone else as an overreactor. We're, and, and we want to do it so holistically. I think it goes back to our tribalistic nature and it's similar. It doesn't line up perfectly with politics in the United States, but it is very similar in that um, we're, we're very easy to label black and white. And this kind of drives me crazy because I may, as an individual, I may overreact on one thing, like maybe me refusing to go into a grocery store is an overreaction. Uh, I don't know. That's my choice. And I may underreact on other things. So I just don't think it's like this clear black and white thing. But do you think it's appropriate in a time like this to choose a side, meaning I'm feeling like all those people are overreacting to this and they're all full of it? To me, that gets us nowhere. Yeah, I would agree. I think at a time like this, we really should be following the direction we're getting from our governing bodies. And so if I live in the state of California and my governor says you need to stay home and not go places, I shall stay home and not go places. And that actually is honestly a biblical principle that you are supposed to obey the authority figures in your nation. In I mean, biblical times, would those figures have been elected by the people though? No. That's so they would have yeah, they would have been people that were either monarchy or they conquered land and took over. See, I agree with your statement about current times. We should be listening to our governing bodies because they were elected officials. You know, we forget in our political day-to-day political discourse that these are largely people that want to do good things, that are giving, you know, to public service, that have dedicated their lives to it. But I would completely holistically disagree with that case in biblical times where what uh, what authority, what knowledge did um, the, the governing bodies have at that time if they weren't elected by other people? Well, I mean, they were still... They were, still they were the people with the most money and, or the right or, um, family name. Uh, I would say if you go back to leadership, there were just certain people who rose to prominence because of leadership skills, and they were able to get people to follow them in the first place. And or if you look at like the Romans, because that was Jesus making that statement during the time when the Jewish people were being governed by the Romans and the Romans were eventually the ones that allowed Christ's execution. And so you can look at it that way and say, well, that's pretty tough. But they were very organized at that point in time. And there was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he governed, had governors in each of the regions that he was over. And they would follow law. So you would have to, before writing it off and saying that during the biblical times, they shouldn't have done that. You should probably read about what was happening during that time and how they were structured. They were very well organized and they were trying to govern. It takes a lot, especially at that time, if you think they didn't have the technology we have today to keep that empire going for over 400 years is pretty impressive that they had that type of a span. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, like the amount of, of land that they governed compared to today was pretty massive in the, for the population that was on the planet at that time. So I think... Clearly, there are times where even biblical figures didn't follow what the governing body had instituted because there would be kings that wanted their people to bow down and worship them. And for the Jewish people or for Christians, that's not going to happen. They're they're only going to serve God. And so they didn't 
come out and rebel and say, no, we're not going to do it. They just didn't do it. And so, yeah, there are definitely times when you can't follow that. But when we're looking at the safety and well-being of millions of people in our country and around the world, billions of people, then yeah, if I'm going to assume that I don't know all the facts and all the figures, because I remember when this had first started, I remember thinking for a little while, like, are we overreacting to this? Because there are more people who get the flu every year than get this. But yet we're tracking this so closely. Can I interject and ask, is that the optimist in you that underreacted at that time? Probably. that's That's a good example of where on one day you may have, by some other people's definitions, like underreacted. Yeah. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be fair to label you as a whole, like an underreactor. Yeah. So I just wonder and why people are getting so so much animosity, it. animosity behind it. And I, I would guess that it's driven by fear. But if the overreactors are acting based off fear, what are the underreactors? Why are they underreacting? Like what? What's the philosophy behind them? Yeah. What's the the driving emotion behind saying, oh, we don't have like some governors are still, you know, not mandating stay at home. Yeah, I think I don't know if for everybody else, it's necessarily optimism. I've talked to a couple of friends of mine that feel like this is all overreacting. Like we shouldn't be destroying the fabric of society the way that we are for this. I'm not saying I agree with this, but yeah, this is this is one of the responses that I've heard. I would agree that's or I'm sorry, I would label that person as underreacting. Yeah. Potentially. Well, I guess it depends what their actual act you can say. Sorry, that's probably unfair because they're saying that other people are overreacting, but I don't know what their actions actually have been, right? If right. their and actions I don't... have been to hurt other people, to me, that would be an underreaction. And the underreaction would have to have some sort, to me, have to have some sort of reason behind it. Would it like something like defiance, uh, ignorance? Um, yeah, I don't know because I, I don't really relate to that. I think I'm more on the overreacting side or uh, and that's the funny thing is the over no, no one says that oh i'm an overreactor they think that they're reacting yeah. <laughs> like yeah just like people you know, probably don't think they're underreacting yeah either. They yeah we all think, think that we're we're right well think know, we're right the best to make the decision for everyone yeah else. but that's another unique thing about this is that you you aren't making a decision just for yourself your decisions yeah. are impacting others here and we don't normally have these social distancing rules in place. So I think it's like the introduction of new rules that you have to live by that some people have a very hard time swallowing. And I think they put it to different reasons. Like they'll say either they feel attacked from a a political standpoint or a religious standpoint, or even just some sort of personal feeling about freedom that maybe I don't quite relate to. I think that's actually, and I think you're you're on to something there. I do think a lot of people feel their freedom is being taken away from them and that the government now is controlling where we can go and who we can be with and how far apart we even have to be. Is it fair, even even if it's correct, is it fair that I would label that as paranoia? I don't know. I um, that's a That is a hard one for me. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment. I don't think this is some big government way of trying to control us as people, I do think they're really trying to watch out for us at this time. So is it paranoia? Uh, Maybe a little bit. Yeah. I think when you also give people a lot of time where they have to sit and think because they can't go anywhere or do anything, 
it's probably easier for people to become more paranoid or to become more critical or cynical of their situation. Mm -hmm. And so it could be that we're seeing a lot of that. I don't mean to label it paranoia as a bad thing, but I think it's actually the same fear that we're probably all experiencing, but we're reacting very differently based on our like our own personal histories. Yeah. So maybe we can come sort of come to some commonality or um, relate to other people with just understanding that we are all experiencing the same thing. Yeah, I would say so. When the word goes out, there will be a run on the banks, gas stations, grocery stores, you name it. People will panic. The virus will be the least of our worries. It will tip over now. We just need to make sure that nobody knows until everybody knows. So with the the dawn of COVID-19, we went from people who didn't think it was going to affect us because this was something that was happening in China and they were quarantined and so problem solved. This wasn't really going to spread. And then all of a sudden, we start to see cases in the US go up and all of a sudden, I'm not even sure what triggered it, but all of a sudden, the mad panic buying of water, toilet paper, and sanitizer (laughs) just... Just took off. And you know what I you know I think is interesting about that is it started somewhere and it spread like a virus. Yeah. And if some of those beginning people had decided to buy something else, like toothpaste, that's what would have disappeared off the shelves, right? Yes. (laughs) Toilet paper. Like why toilet paper? There's no shortage. Never has been. No. (laughs) It's just how people just really like their bottoms. We just never know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like I don't know. It is very fascinating to me because it's like, I mean, there are other methods that could be used. Oh, yeah. The the sale of um, bidets Bidets. skyrocketed on Amazon. Yeah. I've always (laughs) wanted one. And you know that because when we went to Argentina, (laughs) I kept boasting about how much I loved using the bidets there. (laughs) TMI, TMI. (laughs) It is interesting to see what do we buy from the stores? Like, what are the essentials? that people feel comforted by and what are we afraid we're not going to be able to get in a crisis situation now if this was an earthquake because i had just recently listened to the big one which is an earthquake podcast mostly relevant to people living in earthquake zones but certainly for southern california or all of california there was no mention of toilet paper in that podcast like they (laughs) they talked about a lot of supplies that you should get but toilet paper wasn't one of them and so when this started to break and everybody was running to grocery stores I found it amazing that all the canned foods in the first like week of this were all still on the shelf, but toilet paper was gone and hand sanitizer was gone and water. It's like taps are still going to work through a pandemic. (laughs) Like, I think we're okay on that. Like get water during an earthquake, but a pandemic. Do you think those people had read that the virus might get in the water or something, or it's just irrational, (laughs) irrational fear? I think it was a rational fear. I think people just thought, oh, no, there's something happening. They're not going to let us out of our homes. We need to go to the grocery store. We need to get water because that's what we're trained. I mean, I get it for Southern California yeah, because we have so much earthquake training and discussions here that I could see water flying off the shelves here. But I don't get it for the rest of the country how people didn't logically just think, oh, well, I can still turn on the tap and get water unless there's just a lot more people that drink bottled water than I'm aware of. And maybe that's the case. Maybe a lot of people don't drink tap water. That was really interesting, especially in the movie. They had people buying canned goods and batteries and all the things that I would see as being the essentials. It's my personal assumption that 
if things were to get worse, uh, like really bad, that looting would be inevitable. You think so? That's yeah. actually I wanted to ask about ask you about that. So you think yeah, that I that would happen? I, I feel like there are enough people, you know, that would panic similar to the panic buying. And I think my question to you would be, are the people that are panic buying today the same people that would end up doing looting if things got worse? Or are oh, we talking about a whole different subgroup of people and a different fear level? I think what's different about COVID-19 versus the virus that we saw in the film is that it seemed that the virus in the film had a 100% death rate. So anybody who got it, immediately, we knew they were doomed. They were not going to survive the virus. Yeah, I would find it hard to believe that if this got worse, we would see looting. I probably would agree that some of the people out there, I wouldn't say all of them, but some of the people out there that are panic buying and stocking up on all this stuff probably would also be the people who would loot because if they've already got the fear in a civilized fashion to be this selfish and think only of themselves and not the fact that other people are going to need these supplies too, then it's likely they would probably also have some ethics that, hey, well, I'm just going to break into the store and take what I need because I want to make sure that I'm okay, even if other people aren't. Mm -hmm. And so I could see that, but I think like with everything else, there are always extremes. So there's going to be the extreme of people who do things like that versus the people who are way underprepared and they would not think of doing it and think everything's going to be fine or that this is all going to pass quickly. And then they're the ones that are trying to find food and are also scared. And so then they resort to panic buying and looting because they didn't take the proper precautions beforehand to be like, hey, everybody's buying stuff. Maybe I should go buy some stuff too. Is fear contagious? I think it can be instilled. I don't know if it's contagious. But I, I think, think it's contagious in the manner of those that are afraid and on the brink are definitely affected by others that are around them and like them, right? So if well, you're using just the panic buying as an example, because it's kind of a good one. Yeah. If you're kind of on the brink, like, oh, I actually have a month of toilet paper supply. I don't, I, I'll probably be fine, but uh, and you're feeling a little uneasy about it. And then all of a sudden you see all this news that your local stores are out of toilet paper and everyone in your neighborhood is buying all the toilet paper. I think that throws some people over the edge. You're probably right about that. I mean, I know like we just happen to have had a stock up of all of those supplies fairly recent, like I think within a week or two of all of that starting up. So my wife was like, oh, yeah, we should be fine. Like, we've, we've definitely got toilet paper. And when I looked under the cupboard and saw how many rolls of toilet paper we had previous to all of this happening, it's like, oh, yeah, we should. Uh -huh. be okay. But you interesting. You did I check. I did, did check. check. Did yeah. you check out of fear? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure I was <laughs> concerned. But like, but you never even knew that you would ever have a fear of running out of toilet paper. And of you probably and you probably on a personal level actually don't have a fear of that. Because like you said at the beginning, there's a million other ways you could take care of that problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the influence. I think that's a says a lot. That's a there's a strong influence of fear. And during crisis times like that, we need to be cognizant of how much influence other people are having on us in that direction. Yeah. And I'll also admit, even though we have well over two months of a supply, one of the times that I did go grocery shopping, they just happened to have had a shipment of toilet paper. 
And I bought a thing that had like 12 rolls of toilet paper, not because we were in need of it, but because it was actually there. And I thought, well, who knows when I'll next see this again. So I grabbed one and purchased it, even though we didn't need it. Like we definitely have enough. But I just, I don't know, I guess there was a little bit of fear there. Like, hey, it's here. I better take it while I can. Yeah. And this is a great example, going back to the overreacting, underreacting is I'm probably overreacting, or at least I wouldn't call it overreacting, but reacting very protectively on most fronts. But in terms of the toilet paper thing, I was like, oh, that's these people are stupid. Like, there's no reason to worry about toilet paper. And we almost ran out. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, so moving from the, I think the panic buying slash looting is maybe a good segue from talking about seeing fear in a pandemic to seeing evil, evil. in a pandemic. Blood results came back, Mr. Crumweedy. You never had the virus. You have no antibodies. You lied. Of course, that's what your labs say. Forsythia is a lie. It's a lie, and you made four and a half million dollars for telling it. You want to blog about that? The big debate right now, or maybe it was the big debate of, as of a couple days ago, was what I would call the economy debate. And this is very specific to the United States. Other countries may relate, but at least the debate in the United States was there was one side of the house that thought that we're overreacting and that our overreacting is going to cause a collapse in the economy and that it was worth the risk of all the deaths of many, many people in order to save the economy for the future um, of our quote unquote children, Society. right? To me, that's putting money ahead of human life, and I can't uh, relate to that sentiment. I want there to be a good world for my daughter to live in, but I don't want that world to be governed by economics versus the value of human life. Yeah, I don't know. I guess this is a good time to reflect on those kind of inner beliefs. I feel the same way you do, uh, and I would hope that a vast majority of Christians feel that way too, that human life should always be more valuable than money. I don't know if that is the case. I do feel like there's a lot of people who are more worried about the fact that we're not going to have an economy to come back to, even Mm -hmm. though history has proven over and over again that when there are disasters like these or even worse or not as bad, we do have a way of recovering. And I think that's hard to see when you're in the midst of it. But when you look at the bigger picture and you see things like the world wars or you see the Spanish flu epidemic ended, I think, in 1920. And the 1920s were known as the Roaring Twenties. Like that was a huge financial successful time in this country. And that was one of the things that I learned in this podcast called The Big One. One of the things they were talking about is even if Los Angeles got hit with a massive earthquake, yeah, it'd be really rough for a year or two trying to get back on track. But what they've generally seen is that after these types of disasters, the area that was affected ends up becoming more profitable and more successful after the fact. And so I think we... Yeah, but again, (laughs) that sounds great, but you're caring a lot about the economics of the matter. And I wouldn't even... Well, I don't care. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that people who are worried about this shouldn't be worried about this. Like that, I see. 
that isn't a thing that we should have a fear or be worried about is, oh no, what's going to happen to my 401k or what's going to happen to our society or whatever else. Like to me, it's like, don't worry about that. That's going to work itself back out at some point. Yeah, maybe we'll have a few hard years, but it will come back. Like that's, let's care about people and let's make sure that we as human beings are okay and that we can do everything we can to support each other during this time. And I think it's when a nation is super profitable, people become pretty greedy and pretty selfish. And that becomes the way of life. And maybe not that I'm like downplaying the effects of this or how many people are dying from it or anything, but oftentimes good ends up coming out of these types of situations because we learn from them. Let's just make sure we're all safe and that there is a group of people to go into (laughs) the next society. (laughs) So if if this is all going to result in us being better for it on the other side, is that an intentional thing? Is this part of God's plan? It's a great question. I don't think God necessarily said, I'm going to cast the coronavirus onto the earth and make people suffer to become better people. <laughs> That's generally fill up, fill up 13, 13. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite the opposite. I see that as an act of the adversary. And then what God does is takes what is happening in this world and uses it for better purposes. So is it a part of his plan? I guess you could say in a way, he probably proactively knew at this point of time this was going to happen. So here's the results that he can bring to this, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't think God wants anything bad to happen to people. That's never been the plan. Like that's not the nature of God. Like, and this is where I know you say I personify and where I, um, more like man. Yeah. Like I see God as good. So Goodness would not include infecting potentially millions of people with a very serious virus. I don't think that is part of God's plan. But I do see that God often will use bad circumstances to further his kingdom or to make things better as a whole for humanity. Yeah. So I I think the universe does have a way of balancing itself out at times. So I, I don't see this as necessarily like an act of evil coming from like, you know, the other side or something. But I I do question then because of that belief, like, why is this happening? And I I hope that good will come out of it. But in our current situation within our current country, you know, my hope might be more personal. And that is that this would be a real shakeup to um, not only the divisive politics in our country, but also just the economy in general. Some of our politicians um, have been saying that we have a great economy for, um, you know, the past year. But really, if you look at like our stock values, they've been way overinflated. And everyone that's been studying it has known that it's from a financial perspective, this has been long overdue. I think the sad thing is that there are a lot of people that do live in this money driven mindset. And they don't necessarily realize it, but their whole lives are centered around things that are economic based um, or monetarily based. And you see that from that, that nemesis we mentioned, the woman that says, Excuse me, Dr. Mears, is this coming out of your budget or ours? I don't relate to those people and I'm not sure what to do about that. Like, how can I be okay with, with those people? To me, this whole incident 
um, this pandemic is proof that capitalism does not work, you know, to spend $2 trillion of future debt money to bail out what was supposedly a good economy is proof in the pudding. And I'd be happy to debate that with anyone on social media or offline. But when it comes down to the, the people that we're talking about that are more worried about the money and the economy, like somebody's got to help me relate to these people because I'm, I'm having a hard time with that one. I don't really necessarily think any economic or political system works. Like, I don't think... Like, they all have their flaws. They all have their flaws. I don't think socialism works either, or communism. We've seen the effects of that in Eastern Europe and Mm -hmm. uh, Russia and stuff. I'd agree. There's no, like, perfect system. But going back to, like, wanting the economy to survive over human beings... And I know you relate, so I can't ask you, but I'll just put the question out there to the universe. Like in my own, I'm having a hard time with that lately. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, And so that's where I am in my spiritual path is trying to figure out how to love those people in the same way. Well, I think it's probably just understanding their point of view on it and allowing them to have it without reacting to it. Like just so I, I, I think I do understand the arguments mostly. It's just that I don't respect them. And that's hard for me because I don't want to be the liberal adversary that's ignored. Like, that's the whole point of this podcast is to, like, come and find the common ground and relate to people. And uh, maybe because of the stress and anxiety surrounding a pandemic like this, I'm just finding it recently more more challenging. Well, it might go back to our first point that maybe the economic issues, the greed that people feel that they're going to lose their money, it's probably just causing a lot of fear. What does the new world look like? And can we move forward in a new world? And so I think people become greedy and I think they they hold money close to themselves because they don't know what the future is going to bring and they want to make sure that they feel secure. I think we all want to feel comfortable and we all want to feel secure. And I think that these types of times highlight that. So what do people get more concerned? They don't want the change. They don't want something to disrupt the life that they've been living. And now it has and they're concerned. And I don't know if that's necessarily... I don't know, maybe it's not that they're trying to be evil or they're only thinking about money or they're not thinking about the value of life. It just might be something that is more of a concern for them because they don't know what it could look like if we were to abandon a capitalistic or socialistic or communistic lifestyle and move into a different era of human history where maybe we finally realize we should care about each other (laughs) and and actually only create the essentials yeah distribute it to people properly around the whole world so that we don't see people starving my personal like kind of spiritual beliefs think that it's sort of the sadly because of the cost of human lives it it is sort of the universe balancing itself out. And again, I, I am constantly questioning right now as we're going through this, why that's happening. And I have my own opinions on it, but they're very uh, probably narrow minded to my own existence, right? I'm not mm, thinking yeah. globally, I'm thinking more of my day to day, my disgust for American politics and uh, sort of current situation. That's fair. Um, if I were living in some other country, I can't imagine 
what I would be thinking about. But but that's what's kind of so cool about the orchestration of everything in existence is some pandemic like this probably does make sense for the entirety of humanity. Yeah. We're just in a situation where we needed this, I guess. Well, or what if this is a precursor to something else that's coming that's even worse? And right now we're being given the grace of something that is a little bit more manageable that we can learn all the lessons from so that when this other one hits, we're more prepared and we have already gone through it and know how to manage it. Yeah, but is so, that, are you implying that's like a test from a higher power or? I don't know. Because I don't see it quite that I don't way. Know if, I don't know if it would be a test or maybe it's maybe it's a warning that worse is to come. And so let's figure it out now so that we can, like, it's it's almost like a season of grace. And we need to figure this out now as humanity so we aren't completely wiped out. Okay, don't go scaring all our listeners. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, it just, you triggered the thought in me, like, what if this is, because, you know, like, again, living in Southern California, we have a lot of earthquakes here. And so they sometimes say like, oh, that might have been a foreshock or whatever they call them a pre-earthquake to like the bigger one that's coming. And so there is that possibility. Now, the one thing that is also interesting with human history is that when things like this happen, generally one of the aftermaths is that there is usually some sort of a spiritual awakening and more people become more in tuned with their spirituality. And so this evil thing may be bringing something very good right behind it because we as people become more open. We are survivors now of something. And uh, we become more open to spiritual conversations and religions as a whole. And people sometimes will gravitate towards that after these types of global catastrophes. Yeah, I see that too. And I that's maybe that's that adds to my disconnect with those that care more about the economy and the money situation, because they're not realizing the humanitarian impact that this is going to have coming out of it. Um, yeah. They're all more excited about the massive economic recovery we're going to have. And it's going to be so great because all of our stock values are going to go up. And stocks is funny money. And that has nothing to do with how we love each other and care for each other and treat each other on a day-to-day basis. And how we feed each other and provide those essentials. Oh, I almost forgot. What's that? Your vaccine. The one you took was a placebo. What? The Chinese insisted. The Chinese don't negotiate with kidnappers. It wasn't up to us. This was when the there was yeah. a point in the movie when the they get the, the woman that back. was kidnapped. She gets yeah. back, and then yeah. the guy that saves her admits that they gave the Chinese community placebos. Yeah. So, and she finds out about this when she's at the airport, and. Um, one of the things that I, I don't know, maybe that's the conspiracy theory side of me is when we have things like this, a lot of people, to your point, even though a lot of people are concerned about the economy and scared or whatever else, there's a lot of people who are profiting off of this and they're profiting big time. I know there's a lot of people who say like, why haven't we cured cancer yet? With all the money that's been raised for cancer, how has nobody figured out how to solve this or <laughs> to heal this? What do you Same say to that? I don't know. I try to move on. I it seems, <laughs> seems a little ridiculous to me. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that much money should have cured it. It's like saying that one billion dollars should have combated God's, you know, cancer thing. What do you mean God's cancer thing? Well, is is cancer not a result of the, the world that God created? 
Uh, no, it's a result of the sin of the world, not the world that God created. Oh, can't like illness in general? Yeah. Or can't. Oh, interesting. God is good. God didn't create anything that's going to harm us or kill us. That's a result of sin, of sin coming into the world. Even illness. So all illness yeah. in COVID-19 yeah. yep. is a result of sin. But sin as defined by God, it wasn't something that came from, from Satan or the adversary. Well, sin is anything that is against God who is good. Which this isn't. So I would argue that God created illness because, no. because man sinned. Because man sinned, man opened himself up. So this goes back to, and I know I might be the only Christian that thinks this way, but this goes back to the idea that there's a sense of good and there's a sense of evil, right? Outside of God, there is just a sense of good and a sense of evil that permeate throughout existence. And I think that God exhibits all characteristics of good and zero characteristics of evil. And I think when God created the world, biblically speaking, actually, I don't even think this, but biblically speaking, when God created the world, it was good, meaning that there was no sickness or any type of evil that was in the world. So you're you're already labeling... COVID-19 as bad. Yes. I think the sickness itself is bad. I don't think that it is a good thing. I think good can come out of it, but I don't think the sickness itself is a good thing. I think it is a bad so, thing. So uh, let me try and understand, because to me, if your God does exist, he created the rules and parameters by which all we know exists. And so even if it was a punishment for man's sin, like he created COVID-19. But I think Wrong. what you're no. saying, that that's okay. me, that's me. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is that is that man actually had enough authority by sinning to alter what God created in order to create something like an illness like this. Am I am I misunderstanding? Um I would say it's not necessarily man sin entered the world well sin entered the world when man chose to sin yes before as, that there was no a, sin. but but as a rule set that was defined by god right god said do not sin and then he said here's he basically said here's what's going to happen if you do sin you're going to have illness actually no so where uh, did illness where did illness get invented i guess that's what i'm trying to understand well i think that is to the credit of the adversary I think that comes, so the adversary's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the adversary wants to do. So in that, the adversary has infected man with this as well as the rest of the world. So there are there is evil now in the world because we chose to sin. Had we not chosen to sin, there would be no death, there would be no sickness, there would be no pain, none of that. So that's why... I believe that then after we have left the, like once we pass away and go to heaven, there again will be no more death or sin or pain. After the Spanish flu in 1918, you know, people got rich. The Vicks vapor rub people, the Lysol people, look it up. One man dies, another man makes money off his coffin. One country culls all their chickens, red meat goes into higher demand. I'm not the first person to make money off the fact that our immune system is a work in progress. The pharmaceutical industry do it every quarter. So we have people that are sick and uh, there are people 
that are benefiting from this, that are making money off of this. There's people who are scamming people saying like, oh, I'm from this foundation and I'm raising money. Would you like to donate or whatever else? That's one part of humanity that like you suffer with why why do people care about the economy to me it's like how can people mm-hmm. profit off of other people during a time like this agreed i uh, that one i can't wrap my head around like i can't but believe it, but it's not and it's not just a time like this true uh again this is very america specific Americans have accepted big pharma they allow big pharma to influence politics through hundreds of lobbyists that literally live in Washington, D.C. and take out all our politicians to dinner and, you know, influence them in one way or the other. It has nothing to do with this pandemic, right? This problem existed before this. Yeah, this is highlighting that people are still doing this. Maybe these companies aren't as bad as I think they are, and they're actually doing a lot of good for humanity. But it just feels like, I guess, sort of like how I was saying, we don't get a sense of humanity in this film. Like it is just body count and numbers and all of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's how I feel about some of these bigger pharmaceutical companies. Like that's all they care about is just the the profits and making money off of this. And maybe they aren't, maybe they do care about finding cures for things. As strange as this may seem, I'm going to actually defend them because what I'm going to defend is the individuals that work there, right? Imagine, you know, you, you work for a big Fortune 500 company and a lot of these other people do. And they're regular Americans just like you. They're our neighbors. And do you think that they go to work wanting to do evil? Or do you think they're going to work thinking, oh, I'm here working on a cure for MS. I'm here working on a yeah. cure for COVID-19. I'm here trying to solve the, the answer to cancer. Like, I think there are many, many, many individuals that work for these big companies that that are not doing evil things. I think where the evilness comes out of it is in the capitalism, to be honest, because at a higher level, what drives these companies to keep pursuing uh, more and more drugs and, and keep doing what they're doing is money. Yeah driven by the demand of Wall Street and bettering the quote unquote economy so that politicians can look good. Yeah. And really, that's all funny money. When it comes down to it, I just want to applaud all of the actions of all these people that are working at these big pharmaceutical companies that are that are doing it, you know, because they went to school wanting to cure diseases, wanting to help people wanting to fix. And there are thousands, tens of thousands of these people that are almost overshadowed by the evil deeds of our corporate overlords (laughs) to to overreact. (laughs) Let's come down to just pure basics. From our own ethical standpoints, do you think it's ethical to even allow profit for the selling of drugs that could cure a disease that was caused by sin? I think, um, back to your point, if there's thousands of people working on things, they do need to get paid. Like, I do think it's fair that if they've gone through schooling and have now been hired on by a company to make money off of it. Now, are we overcharging for drugs? Probably. And if, if these drugs do help people recover from a sickness, I don't think that that's out of the will of God. I would think that God would want people to be well. And I think he gave us brains and the ability to figure out how to solve these problems. I think all of that is logical and proper. But do these drugs really cost the amounts, at least in the US, that people are charged for them? 
I think that's the bigger question rather than is it ethical for people to pay for drugs? I would say if we have a system of commerce where we do have to pay for things, then sure. I mean, unless we got to a point where we could have universal health care in this country and we are paying for all of this through tax money that we already are paying to the government anyway, then sure, we don't have to pay for those types of medicines. But I don't know. I just don't see how we could get around not paying for this. It's just mm. what is the actual what I, is the actual amount? I mean, I, I I agree that the logistics of not having pay doesn't make any sense. But I I don't think there's anything ethical or moral about it. If there's a cure discovered tomorrow for COVID nineteen, and let's say miraculously in a week it's available to anyone that wants it, and it costs a thousand dollars a pill. But why would it cost a thousand dollars a pill? Let's say it takes that much to actually manufacture it. Hmm. Where, where is the the morality behind the fact that someone that can't afford that won't be able to to buy it? Yeah. And how does capitalism? Doesn't capitalism and morality immediately conflict? Yeah, for sure. Should we find some hope in this pandemic? I think so. If one in four are dying, that means three out of four are living, right? So the odds are in our favor. Finding hope in a pandemic. My wife had a, a really good reaction after the end of the movie. I didn't like Jude Law's character at all. And she mentioned that people really needed his kind of hope. And although his character acted unethical, she was accepting of it because it may have been necessary at the time because people really need to believe in something, right? They need, really need some sort of action they can take. And, and she called it hope junkies. We're all hope junkies. And I liked that term. I do agree people want to have hope. I also agree that there's an ethical way to do that. I don't necessarily think lying of telling people that there's a cure or that these people are just overreacting to this and it's not as bad as we think it is or whatever else. None of that is helpful. None of that is moving us forward. I think there's just as much hope saying, hey, if we do our part and stay home, we're going to beat this thing. Like we can do this together as people. And I think that's such a stronger message than making something up or saying, oh, there is a cure. Take this. It's going to work. Yes, I am. Blogging is not writing. It's graffiti (laughs) with punctuation. A lot of people hate social media, and I can't say I'm the hugest fan of it either. But one thing that has been great about this is seeing a lot of the stories that I see on there where people have recovered and talked about it or have said, you know what, just listen, just stay home, just do your part. We can all do our part and we can get through this together. And I think that is so much more hope building than anything else. But I think we do seek it. I think your wife is right. I think we are hope junkies. Like I think everybody, no matter what you believe in, has hope in something. It's just we all have hope in different things. Just like I feel like God is going to use this for good in some way, shape or form. That's probably not necessarily your belief. But you probably believe that there's still hope in this in some way, shape, or form that makes sense to you. And I think we all want to do that. And I think one of the things that has been great about this is the humor that has come out of this. Like how many memes (laughs) have been created based off of this is stunning to me. If we all die off from this, can you imagine like an alien civilization and coming and seeing the last posts that we all made? (laughs) It's just all these jokes, (laughs) joke 
memes. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things that is giving people hope is the fact that we can step back from the seriousness of this and still make a little bit of light of a rather grim situation. And I think that's just a response. And maybe some people might even put that into the evil category that we're making fun of this instead of taking this very seriously. But I think that's just part of the human condition is we have yeah. to find a lighter side to this somehow. I would I would agree with you. I mean, humor is good. It's so fitting. And, and the amount of artists and people um, reaching out, uh, you know, musicians that are playing live streams for free online. It's there is some amazing, hopeful things that will come out of this, I think. So speaking of God, um, in terms of seeing hope in a pandemic, you were taken aback by Kate Winslet's who, who was clearly a very pure scientist and kind of a I don't I don't mean cold in a negative way kind of cold, straightforward scientist. And then at the tail end, when she does get sick, she looks in the mirror and said, please, God, please, God. Yeah, please, God. Yeah, I thought that that was interesting. Um, And I don't know, maybe she wasn't necessarily referencing a Christian God. I think in this moment, it probably was a prayer because she just realized she has all the symptoms of this. And she she literally said, please, God, right? Yeah. What's interesting is she said, please, God. And yet she knew it was too late. Well, and again, that's where I think people, even in a moment like that, if you can believe that there is a divine being that cares for us, then you can believe that that divine being can touch you and heal you of an ailment or of something that you're about to suffer. And so it's just, I think in a moment of desperation like that, I often wonder, and I mean, I can't speak on behalf of this because I've been in a relationship with God for most of my life, but I wonder sometimes if there's like a wake-up call that some people go through where they are living a good life and they don't feel like they need God in their life. And then when something like that, where they feel life is now threatened, if that's a quick return to God, like, okay, there is something higher than me and now I need that power to help me out. And I think God is graceful and definitely, I think God hears us when we've gone away and then have suddenly decided that we now need him because we're in a crisis. And I hear lots of stories of people that have become Christians because that exact thing has happened where they've led a life away from God. And then in a moment of crisis have quickly repented or come back to God and God has helped them out or they feel God has helped them out. And I think that in circumstances like this, I think it's pretty quick for people when they realize that they're at a critical point in their life, that they will welcome God back in. It was just very interesting. Because like you said, you see this woman who's so in control and so powerful, and she's no nonsense, and she's got her mission, and she's doing what she's going to do. And then Mm -hmm. we see that she too is vulnerable to this. And the first word she utters is a prayer to God. And I think that that, I don't know, like, I don't know if that's a common reaction for people, like, to suddenly find acknowledgement in God, or like you said, was it just words she was saying, but she didn't actually mean God, she just was saying it because that's what people say in a moment like that. They say the French and Americans have a cure. They're manufacturing it in secret. WHO knows, but they're in bed with the Americans. Who says? The internet the internet and you believe it i don't know 
I feel like everyone looks for hope and wants resolve. And it's so funny that they had this particular line in the movie, because I remember hearing a couple people that I work with on these, you know, teleconference calls that we're doing now, where somebody said, oh, I heard that the Dutch have a cure for COVID-19 that they're working on. And somebody else said, oh, yeah, I heard there's a laboratory in Florida that had. So it's interesting, like, I think we all want this to resolve. (laughs) And I feel like anybody will take whatever they hear on television or on a news article they read online. And if it gives them a glimmer of hope, they will run with it until somebody is like, oh, actually, no, that was proven to be false. Snopes said this or whatever else. It just felt so accurate because I literally heard something like within the day or two before watching the movie where somebody had made almost that exact same statement. And it's like, it's so true. We all want this to be resolved and we all have that hope that it's going to be. So does luck play any role in any of this? And does luck exist in your God's plan? Because to me, luck is, is more coincidental. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who say like, Sure, God has a plan for us, but is every single detail ironed out? Like he knows every single millisecond of every, like he has it all planned to like down to the millisecond of how you live your life. Or is it a broader plan? And there are things that we control or don't control and whatever else. So if you go with the latter, then I would say, yeah, there could be luck. Because if God's plan is more general and broader than what some people say or some people believe, then it could be that there is the chance that it's a crazy coincidence that something has happened or luck. Um, If you're under the thought that, oh, no, God has this all planned out to the very final detail, then no, that doesn't leave any room for luck because it may just be God intervening in that moment. And I think in both cases, you can have God intervening in things that can feel like luck to a person. And I think God can intervene in people's lives that don't even believe in him or her. And I think that that happens far more frequent and people call it fate or luck or whatever they want to call it. And that's very much a real possibility. Um, I don't use, I, I would take it more as a moment where God intervenes in our lives in little ways. And I think sometimes we don't even see how they happen. There's been times where I've almost gotten into a car accident and it's like, was that just like a quick little message from God? Like, Hey, look out. And I swerve out of the way, or was it just that I just happened to finally have noticed something and stopped really fast? Like, because then the first thing I'll, you know, if somebody else is in the car, it's like, oh, I'm so lucky I didn't just get into that car accident. So was it luck or was it that God quickly threw out something at me so that I would like realize what was going on and stop real fast? And I think God cares enough about us that he could be doing that. Your idea behind luck kind of goes hand in hand with free will, right? If there is free will, then there likely is luck as well. Yeah, there's definitely like 
I don't know if God's plan is so intricate that every single detail is planned out and that like every decision I'm making is aligning completely within his plan. And he knew I was going to make that decision. Would you care either way? Uh, Yeah, I guess not. That's probably why I don't like I don't think that's not something I think a ton about is like, is there luck or are we being you know, are we just a part of God's plan and everything that's happening is not luck? It's all exactly. I think that's a comfort level you have, though, that is not necessarily shared by a lot of people maybe you know even believers and and god probably struggle with that that question is he controlling everything is it free will how much choice do i have but i also wonder i'm also somebody that doesn't have a problem being under authority like that's never really been an issue for me so whether or not God is controlling a lot more than I realize, or I have more free will, and sometimes things just happen as a fluke, I don't really care all that much. I'll probably give God the glory for it rather than think it was a lucky chance. But I I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think a tremendous amount about it. I think I'm pretty comfortable in my relationship with God that whether that was God intervening, I'd like to believe it was. And so I'd give him the credit. But if it wasn't, it doesn't really make it much of a difference to me. Sure. What we do know is that in order to become sick, you have to first come in contact with a sick person or something that they touched. In order to get scared, all you have to do is come in contact with a rumor or the television or the Internet. Final thoughts. You know, looking at a virus like COVID-19, it is hard to see past what's going to happen. Like, I think right now we're still in the thick of it and we're still so heavy into the trenches that it does at times feel hopeless. Like, is this just it? Like, is this the new way of life? And I I don't know, I don't really feel like that. I feel like now that we as a nation have gone through or as a global world are going through something like this, I think there's a lot of great lessons to be learned. And now that we have the technology and ability to do all of this, I have a feeling this is going to be documented. And we're going to realize that this isn't just some fluke occurrence, that this is a once in a hundred year thing that there are other things that can come, even if it's not a pandemic, there could be other things that happen with global warming and global um, climate change and all of that, where we're going to start to see things take shape. And I have a feeling that something like this is preparing us for that and that we're going to come out stronger in the end for it. Yeah, I would hope this is not preparation for something even worse, personally. (laughs) But I think the message here is that none of us are alone. This pandemic is breaking down the meaning of borders, the meaning of politics. It puts us all on a very level playing field. And I think we should all remember that, that we're all experiencing that exact same fear and paranoia deep down. We're just reacting to it in different ways. And as I mentioned, I'm personally having my own struggles with relating to some of those that are underreacting. But I actually think that's a good thing because I think I think we need these challenges in our life, ideally not at the expense of other human lives, but it is what it is. We're taking it as it comes. And if we could take this experience to try and relate and respect and love one another and come out stronger on the other side, then what more can we ask for? Yeah. Amen to that. Do you want to read the poem and people stayed home? Uh, have you heard it? No. Okay. So this is what I mean. Like, I think everybody looks for hope. And 
This is a poem. I think it's been circulating around um, social media, especially within the last week or two. I've seen it posted on a few people's uh, their newsfeed or whatever, like when I look through my newsfeed on Facebook. And I think what's really great about this poem, it's a great window of hope. And I think a lot of people are feeling like this. And so it really hits home to a lot of people. So this poem was written by a woman named Kitty O'Mara. Sorry if I said her name wrong. And it's called And People Stayed Home. And people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played and learned new ways of being and stopped and listened deeper. Someone meditated. Someone prayed. Someone danced. Someone met their shadow. And people began to think differently. And people healed. And in the absence of people who lived in ignorant ways, dangerous, meaningless, and harmless, even the earth began to heal. And when the danger ended, and people found each other grieved for the dead people, and they made new choices, and dreamed of new visions, and created new ways of life, and healed the earth completely, just as they were healed themselves. (laughs) ¶¶